You're listening to Geek Jabber Live, the show where the main host has a face for radio and a voice for silent movies. Strap yourselves in and dial up the disappointment. Welcome to Geek Jabber Live. Yes, we've suddenly somehow managed to make it to uh, episode 14 of this shit. Why do I keep on doing this to myself? Why am I here? Why are we all here? <laughs> yeah, why am I here? <laughs> yeah, we could, be morning, out, we could be all down the pub or something. Morning. <laughs> morning, afternoon, yeah. evening, whatever time it is in your part of the world. This is Geek Jabber Live, episode 14, and we have a three-person show this week. So we have myself, Tim, we have Quirties from the Pinochet Country, and we have Nick in Sydney. Howdy. How are you both tonight, or today? Doing all right. My understanding is that I'm in charge tonight. Yes, you are in charge. We are doing another quiz special of sorts, and this time it's Nick asking the questions rather than me. <laughs> Yay, role reversal. Yeah, so, um, so we're doing the show backwards. We're doing the end of the show first. I win. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. So I've got some really juicy questions for you guys, um, and I'll explain it sort of as we go along. I think that's probably the best way to do it. But uh, the, the format's going to be the same as what we did last time. We're going to have some retro computing questions, and uh, we're going to split it up into rounds this time. So we're going to have different rounds, different subject areas, uh, and a, th- a total of 30 questions. So hopefully you guys have done your homework. Well, I'll just be uh, because that's what happens half- when I do this show half the time anyway. Yeah. I'll just pretend I did my homework. <laughs> well, look, well, yeah. Look, I'm going to do my best to try and keep score uh, as best I can. And uh, any questions before we start? Um, no, I think we can... Uh jump straight into it awesome so yep. first first round we're going to be talking about ms dos and uh this is not version specific unless i tell you otherwise most of the questions are worth one point each you do get half marks depending on the question so if you get it half right i might award you some uh points and if you have an exemplary answer i might give you extra points as well so we'll kick off with the first question. MS-DOS 5 onwards shipped with a text editor that was mostly that mostly replaced the old Edlin line editor tool, if you guys remember that. What command was used to execute it? And bonus points if you get the extren- extension correct as well. Tim, Ooh. so it was just, no, it was um, edit um, dot .exe. However, it was essentially a... Um, the same editor that was used in QBasic. So there was also a switch you could add to QBasic, and I forget what it is, but I think it's something like quickbasic.exe slash edit that would do it as well. Yeah, so I'll give you I'll give you one point for that. So it was edit, and uh, the actual uh, extension was .com. So it was a .com file, not a .exe. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, so one point for Tim there. Second question. There were two built-in commands, and we're talking about MS-DOS still. There were two built-in commands that could be used to delete files. One of them was DEL or DEL. What was the other? Okay, the other one, and this is Tim again, I think Erase did it as well. That's correct. Erase was the correct answer. Quote is, you are allowed to uh, jump in at some point too. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I did delay that one deliberately because I knew the answer, but I was trying to be fair to QWERTY given... Yeah, I, I was on my way to say all that, but uh, that's another operating system. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, still on the MS-DOS theme, the MS-DOS format command had a uh, has a variety of switches. One of those switches was forward slash U, which performed what was known as an unconditional format. In practicality, what did this mean? Um, Quirky, uh, you raised... Uh, Quirky's you were in first, yeah. Yeah, you raised the drive. Unconditional format. Mm, uh, not yeah. quite. Um, Tim, do you want to have a go at this? Yeah, I seem to remember it was something about... The, the standard format was a quick format, which just erased the file allocation table. The unconditional format was a full format, which also tested the disk surface. Uh. Oh, you're, you're close. So I'll give you half a point for that one. So there was a quick format switch which worked with both the unconditional format and the regular format. The difference between the unconditional format and your normal format was uh, if you just ran a regular format, it would save a copy of the file, al file allocation table somewhere to the disk. So you could use uh, the unformat tool that came with MS-DOS to essentially unformat that drive at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, so the unconditional format didn't save a copy of the fat, therefore unformat wouldn't work at all. Okay. That, that's actually strange because uh, yeah, I seem to remember that's why I used to use, use unconditional was to test the disk surface, but it sounds like I was wrong with that one. Yeah, and, and curiously enough, uh, you could still run an unconditional format and if you had uh, file recovery tools you could still, it wouldn't zero out the disk either. So you could uh, potentially recover data even after an unconditional format. The difference was it wouldn't save a copy of the fat. Yeah. Uh, and fourth question into MS-DOS. So traditionally to boot MS-DOS to a command prompt, three files were required as an absolute minimum. What were the names of the files? Now I'm gonna give one point for each correct answer, uh, including the file extension if you can get it. And I'll give you a half point if you can just get the file name uh, without the extension. I so know this. Um, I'm looking for three files. Opportunity to answer it first, or can I jump in? You can jump in. Okay, so I have a vague was, memory, but so I'm talking uh, about the Microsoft variant here because I think the IBM variant uses different files. That's correct. So we're um, looking at MS-DOS only. Yep. So io.sys, msdos.sys, and command.com. Perfect, three points. Excellent. And all I had right. this in the back of my head. I actually seen. <laughs> seen it's all coming back time. to your quarties, is it? Yeah, well, uh, the, other, yeah, the other question, and I think this is where you could trip up because that one could almost be a trick question. Because I think some people would say config.sys and autoexec.bat. That's right, and, exactly. Um, technically, you don't yeah. need them. Those That's files right. are not required to boot. Those just set up your DOS environment. Exactly right. So uh, they're not mandatory to boot. You can still get to a command prompt with those files that you mentioned, which, yeah, excellent. Um, and final question on MS-DOS. Uh, HiMem.sys was a device driver that was frequently loaded with MS-DOS. It allowed programs to store data beyond the first megabyte of memory address space. What was this portion of memory commonly known as? Tim, 
extended memory, also yes, known as, or more technically, limb extended memory. Yep, I'll accept that. That's absolutely correct. So that wraps up uh, MS-DOS, and uh, we've got Tim at six and a half points, and QWERTY's, unfortunately. You're yet to make a point there. <laughs> yep. Clearly, DOS uh, isn't uh, your strong suit. Uh, I've seen it. <laughs> You've seen it. <laughs> yeah, when, um, when QWERTY's was started computing, I think uh, what would have probably been later when it was the Windows 9X series, so... Yeah. Uh, Possibly, yeah. yeah well, look, speak, sp speaking of Windows, this uh, takes us into round two, which we're going to be talking about early Microsoft Windows versions. And, Tim, if you get this one, I'm going to be really surprised. So, question six. Early versions of Microsoft Windows did not include support for the TCP IP networking stack. In 1994, Microsoft released a free WinSock-based TCP IP stack for Windows for Workgroups 3.11 which was commonly referred to by its code name based on a fictional Marvel character. What was the name of this TCP IP stack? Oh. And I have a hint if you guys absolutely have no idea. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Uh, the, the problem is, and this is where it, um, some people will get tripped up, some people will be thinking Trumpet Windsock, which is not a Microsoft product. But that was no, correct. Used. Yeah. I just remember it was backported from Windows 95, but I can't remember the code name. So the code name was based on a Marvel character, uh, and I can say that the character was featured in the X-Men series. And I have not yet watched any of the X-Men series, so I don't know which characters are in it. Quirties, any ideas there? Uh, yeah, I'm you know, desperately trying to remember what uh, they were called in that series. Yeah, Tim got yeah. it right. So it was codenamed Wolverine. So that was the name yeah. of the uh, the first uh, free TCP IP stack for Windows for Workgroups. Yeah, yeah. And here I was thinking of uh, the character Patrick Stewart played. Uh, well, te technically, <laughs> it was the first Microsoft-based um, TCP IP stack, but I think. Um, I can't remember where the Trumpet Windsock came earlier. So Trumpet Windsock was a, uh, a Windsock stack for Windows, and yeah, it was commonly used, especially if you were lucky enough to have the internet back then. Um, you would probably use Trumpet Windsock for um, your PPP slip connections and dial-up networking and things like that. Um, but that was made by a third-party company. It wasn't uh, Microsoft. I think it was also Australian. Uh, yeah, I believe it was. There you go. Bit of trivia for you. Uh, so carrying on with Windows. Uh, question 7. Windows 3.1 required which family of Intel processor or equivalent in order to run in standard mode according to the official minimum requirements released by Microsoft? QWERTY. QWERTY, oh. yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, probably wrong, but x86... Uh... Was it eighty eighty or? Uh, never mind. No, I shouldn't think. <laughs> no, Tim, do you want to jump in? Okay. Yeah. Um. So uh. the eighty eighty six it would have required real mode, which was dropped in three point one. Mm. It required the two eight six four standard mode. 
That's absolutely correct. Right. And it would, uh, you're absolutely right. So Windows 3.1 didn't uh, support real mode. It did support enhanced mode, which required a 386 processor, but you needed a uh, 286 to run Windows 3.1 as a minimum. And it also required um, one megabyte of RAM, but like any of Microsoft's yep. recommendations, that was just a boost that you couldn't do really much productive stuff with only a meg. No, that, that's very true. Um, question eight. So three new TrueType fonts were installed, uh, sorry, introduced with Windows 3.1, which could be scaled to any size. What were those three fonts called? And you get one point for each correct answer. So jump in if you know those. Correct, yeah, Ariel. Yep, Ariel's one of them. Uh, I had a blank. Okay, I think yeah. I know the other two you're referring to. Go on, Tim. Um, Korea New and Times New. Absolutely right. Yeah, so, yeah, that was... And this is where I'm having a bit of a mental blank. I'm not sure whether Windings was huh? included or whether that was <laughs> came with Office. No, I believe Windings was part of Office. So Windows 3.1 natively came with uh, Arial, or sorry, introduced Arial. Courier New and Times New Roman, and they could be scaled up and uh, even rotated in some ways as well. So the, the way to remember it oh, yeah. is the, um, the, the standard at the time was an operating system needed to have one serif font, one sans serif font, and one fixed width font. There you that go. It sort of seemed to be the unofficial standard that um, most operating systems of the time went with. Yeah. Right. Well, so, please, I'm looking at you for this next question. Question nine. Oh. Official Microsoft product support for Windows 3.1 and Windows for Workgroups 3.11, and we're not counting Windows for Workgroups embedded version in this, ended in which year? I think I know this. 1991? I have no idea. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I think it was sometime <laughs> around 2001, 2002, when Microsoft just did a bulk end of life for a lot of their older operating systems. You're absolutely correct. So, yeah, product support for yeah. Windows 3.1 and uh, Windows for Workgroups 3.11 ended in 2001, believe it or not. Yeah. A lot later than uh, you'd expect. Yeah, well, that has been done, um, like... Like Windows XP um, had a lot longer life than your typical operating system because yep. that was released in 2001. And because of the slow adoption of uh, Windows Vista, they just kept on supporting XP. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's still around, I think, XP yeah, a lot. Because everybody just insisted on staying with XP, Microsoft were kind of forced to perhaps um, support it a little bit longer than they wanted to. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't blame people uh, for not switching to Vista, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, I think even even after um, 7 came out, there were a lot of people still clinging on. And I think it was sort of yeah. once we started talking about Windows 8 and Windows 10, um, I think that's there was still even as late as that, there was still a surprising number of people still using XP. Yeah, definitely. Look, I'll, I'll put my hand up and I'll, I'll and fully admit that I was one of those users. So, 
you know, Windows XP and Windows 7 uh, were great operating systems. Well, uh, I, I will admit I'm probably one of the only people that you know that used Windows XP 64-bit edition. And mm -hmm. that's because around 2009, before, just before Windows 7 came out, um, I built myself my first machine with four gigabytes of RAM. And wow. of course, um, yeah. I didn't want to use Vista because Vista was like... Well, not, it's Vista. <laughs> it's Vista. Um, but I wanted to take full advantage of the four gigabytes. And because of the way um, Microsoft did... Um, PAE. Yeah, it basically meant that I needed really a 64-bit version of Windows. So that basically yep. forced me towards Windows XP 64-bit which actually mm. ran for a couple of months until Windows 7 came out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, and whilst we're talking about Windows, this is the final question in the Windows round. Uh, question 10. Uh, this one's a tricky one, so listen carefully about this one. So there was a segment of code that was included in the beta release of Windows 3.1, which resulted in a cryptic error message if Windows was being installed on a competing disk operating system, such as DRDOS. The code was subject to an antitrust case against Microsoft in 1999. What was this code? Uh, what was this code commonly known as? Oh, I've got it right on the tip of my tongue. I know exactly what you're referring to, and I've seen it referenced to it in the past. And it's actually a really cool story, and and the way it operated. It was actually encrypted code too, so they obfuscated the code. So yeah. you know, if you're looking at the source, you wouldn't. Well, immediately know what it did. One of those situations when you say it, it's like, yes, I remember because I've, yeah. I've read that same story. Yeah. Quirties, any ideas? <laughs> no idea. Uh... Yeah, okay, so what we're referring to is the ARD code, double A-R-D. That was the name right. for the code. And it was uh, named after uh, one of the developers and his name escapes me at the moment but uh yeah that's how he used to sign off on you know his uh programs and whatnot so uh so that's the end of the windows round we've got tim at 11 and a half points qwerties you've made uh, a first point there you've got one point yeah i made <laughs> <Yay>. a point <laughs> exactly <laughs> so we're going to move on to round three which is early hardware uh, so we'll jump right in. In 1984, and Quirties, I know you weren't born then, but in 1984, IBM introduced a new PC graphics adapter that superseded CGA, or the Color Graphics Adapter Standard. What was this new adapter called? Quirties. EVGA? Or something? You're so close. I'll start with an E. EGA, Enhanced Graphics Adapter. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, the differences were CGA could do 320 by 200 in four color. Um, I think 640 by 200, it could only do two color, but actually, um, EGA took that up to 640 by 350 in 16 color. You have clearly done more homework than I have because that sounds yeah. great. Look, I'm going to give Quirties half a point there because you were so, so close. Yeah, the, um, the, other little, the other little um, piece of um, information, well, that's little fun fact. There were two variants of 
um, the EGA card. One had 64k RAM, one had 128k RAM, and with the 128k RAM, the idea was that um, it was essentially you had you could buffer two completely different images and just switch them. Switch between them. Oh, there you go. Awesome. Well, I mean, that rounds our, our graphics questions uh, for the time <laughs> being anyway. Uh, on to question 12. So this one should be nice and uh, short. Uh, Apple's first laser printer was called what? Uh, uh, QWERTY, laser writer. Yes, it was. It was the Apple laser writer, absolutely. And it was uh, one of the first laser printers on the market, actually. So, and uh, then obviously, you know, you had your HPs and whatnot. Uh, and I but, think it was uh, based off a Canon engine. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, too, I'm not too sure. I, I think Canon were making laser printers uh, long, long ago. So Yeah, I think um, even HP at the time, their early laser printers used a Canon engine and they just wrote oh. custom, their own custom software on top of it. Apple yeah. did basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was good. Steve Jobs who um, insisted that uh, everyone needed a laser printer, even if it cost a thousand dollars or something. I believe. Uh, yeah. I mean, they did produce some pretty, and like still to this day, like they produce some pretty amazing printouts for, yeah. uh, you know, negligible running costs. So, and, and that yeah. was well, the I've advantage. I've got a uh, brother laser printer that was, was new, was only about a yeah. hundred bucks, and. It does all right. Yeah. Oh, they're good. Yeah. And basically, it saved desktop, desktop publishing, I think, basically saved uh, Apple. Uh, because the big thing they insisted was, po absolutely. was the inclusion of PostScript. Yeah. Yeah. allowed um, really powerful desktop publishing on the Mac platform. Yeah. Definitely. Now, Quirties, I know you were trying to research questions before we started the show and you were trying <laughs> to guess what I was going to ask you. So these next two are for you because oh boy. You, you were sort of on the, you were on that, uh, the same track. Uh, so question 13. Older PCs without an enhanced BIOS supported hard disk drives up to a certain size. Without the use of add-on cards or special software translators, what was the maximum supported single hard disk size? I'll give Quirtis uh, the opportunity. 10 megabyte. Sorry, what was that, Quirtis? Uh, 10 megabyte. No. Oh, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to assume you're you're referring to IDE. And I believe yeah. it was about 504 megabytes. Yep, spot on. It was exactly 504 megabytes. So there were ways around that. Uh, and you could increase that uh, for older biases. You could install software. Uh, you know, the on-track disk manager was one that I used back in the day. But, uh, yeah, 504 megabytes was the limit for BIOSes. Right, uh, thinking of the original MFM drives, where 10 to 20 megabytes was a common size, I think they topped out at about 60. <laughs> okay, I'm going back to doing research. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quirtis, how about this one for you? This is a little bit more modern, hopefully. So Linear Tape Open, or LTO, was developed in the late 1990s as, a, as an open standard as an alternative to proprietary tape formats. The first format, LTO-1, was released in the year 2000. What was the native uncompressed capacity? <laughs> so we're talking uh, about LTO-1 tape, tape backups. What was the uncompressed capacity for those? 
Tim. I have no idea. I'm, th- uh, I'm going to take a stab at this, um, just considering the sort of the general um, state of computer time. time. I'm thinking it'd be around four gig. No, not even close. Qwerties, did you want to have another guess? Guess at this. Hundred gig. Perfect. Absolutely the answer I was looking for. So 100 gigabytes was the uh, uncompressed um, native capacity for LTO1 and compressed, uh, it was 200 gigs. <laughs> Although they say, uh, they say compressed, they're assuming a two-to-one compression ratio. Well, and that, that yeah. was the standard, but uh, yeah, so. Uh, and final question to round out our hardware questions. Which popular 3D accelerator card made by 3DFX was released in both 8 megabyte and 16 megabyte variants? Now, I'm going to say, before anyone oh. jumps in, that it's not the Voodoo 2 card. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was the Voodoo, so... Yeah, it was in the Voodoo series, it but it wasn't the Voodoo 2. So the Voodoo 2 came out in 8 megs and 12 megs, there was a card that came out in a 16 meg version. Well, I'm looking for the name of that card. I would have just gone with straight voodoo, but that might not be correct. Nope. What else was in this, that series? That's pushing. And you'll kick you you you'll kick yourself as soon as I tell you. Yeah. Uh, Is it this just straight voodoo? No. Quirties, any ideas? No, I was gonna say voodoo also. All right. Well, no points <laughs> awarded for that one. It was the Voodoo Banshee card. So that one oh. came out in the 16 meg version, uh, whereas the Voodoo 2 topped out at 12 megs. Yeah, and, and I believe the original Voodoo was even less than that. I think it was uh, 6 megs. Yeah. And um, yeah, compare that to now where you can't get any video card at all below about seven or $800. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Which, which, funnily enough, the Voodoo cards, uh, especially the Voodoo 2s and the original Voodoos, have actually held their price pretty damn well. Um, to find one sort of under three, four $400 is uh, quite rare. Yeah. yeah well, All right, so... That's what uh, people are resorting to, given you can't give a, get a video card anywhere else. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, you're not going to be doing any sort of... Uh, uh, cryptocurrency uh, on those cards but uh, look that rounds out our hardware round so we've got Tim at 13 and a half points and QWERTY's you're at three and a half so yay QWERTY's yay. QWERTY's got more points than he usually does <laughs> he does progress <laughs> so round four we're going to start talking about early software because of course we're going to talk about software after we've just talked about hardware uh, and QWERTY's I'm sorry yes they're old questions again so question 16, Lotus 123 was a popular software program on the IBM PC and compatibles in the 1980s and 1990s. What type of program was it? What, what was it used for? Uh, uh, spreadsheet. Uh, Quetty. Quetty, yeah. absolutely. Yes, spreadsheets. Yeah. Yep, so it was a very popular uh, spreadsheet tool for MS-DOS and I think even Windows. Yeah. Well, and Mac, I think. Well, well, Didn't yeah, they I do think- a... a- yeah, it didn't start long on Windows just because Excel took over not long after. That's yeah. right. Well, I think it was popular for a while, but once Excel took over, it was pretty much... Good. Yeah, I have a big memory. It sold Apple II 
computers because they could run it on that. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Apple but... wasn't Lotus 1, 2, 3. That was Vision. Ah. So Vision I was knew the was first some... spreadsheet, and that was the killer app for the Apple II. Oh, there you go. I've never heard of that, Tim, so I'm learning stuff too. Yeah. All right, so question 17. Uh, my favourite game by all... by. Uh, by any means, is SimCity 2000, which was a popular PC game, and it was also released for several gaming consoles. Which was the first console to receive SimCity 2000 in 1995? And I presume you're talking about console consoles, not... Yeah, as in gaming consoles. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying, just trying to think, because it's too early for things like the PlayStation... Yep. Although I think it did come out on the PlayStation, but not till later. Yeah, I'm thinking it'll be something like a Sega Mega Drive, maybe. Oh, you're close. Quirties, do you want to have a guess? Uh, no. I have no idea. I was going to say PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. So Sega something by the sound of it. Yeah, so I won't award any points for that one, but it was the Sega Saturn was the first gaming console that uh, SimCity 2000 was ported over to uh, from, you know, PC-based. Uh, I think it was even on Mac at that time as well, but uh, Sega Saturn was the first one. It was soon to be followed by a bunch of other consoles. All right, moving right along. Uh, question 18. Prior to the introduction of long file names in Windows NT 3.5 and Windows 95, short file names were restricted to how many characters? Tim. A character file name, three character extension. Ah, perfect. Yeah, perfect answer. Technically, Windows NT 3.1 had long file names, but you had to format as NTFS. You couldn't use it on FAT. 3.5 introduced it on FAT. There you go. Excellent. All right, so I seem to have skipped a question for some reason. I've got the question, oh. but not the answer. So uh, there's only going to be four questions in this round, and that's uh, my bad. So we'll skip straight to question 20, which is .wpd is the file extension given to documents produced by which word processing application? .wpd. Tim. It was word perfect, absolutely. Two seconds too late, or one second. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that one second too late results in Tim at fifteen and a half points, Quirty's at four and a half points, uh, and we're moving into round five. Oh, early internet. Before we do that. What was the other question? Let's see if we can answer it. I didn't finish the question. <laughs> so, uh, I think I was. Uh, I think I was typing and got distracted by a phone call. So that yeah. was my bad. Uh, so. The question and the answer is, uh, you may as well guess. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, round five. We're going to be talking about early internet and uh, QWERTYs. I realise this is probably not your uh, forte. But uh, what was the name of the pop... This should be easy. What was the name of the popular web hosting service that was acquired by Yahoo in 1999? Tim, shut up. Uh, uh, QWERTY, GeoCities? It was GeoCities, absolutely. <laughs> Geo shitties. <laughs> well, it was all right. Uh, and then there was Tripod, I believe, as well. I don't know what happened to them. And then there was Angel Fire, was I think the other ah, big one Angel as well. Fire. Yeah, that's what yeah. the nerds used. 
All right, so GeoCities was correct. Uh, I had a GeoCities site. I can't remember the uh, the street and the town that I set it up in, but uh, there you go. Yeah, well, I kind uh, of like I kind of like the concept of it, trying to basically do it. Um, it was like neighbourhoods, wasn't it? Yeah, like neighbourhoods yeah. and that sort of thing. I think the problem was that um, people sort of launched a career in web design without really understanding how to design a web page and. You got things hey, like animation, uh, fucking uh, GIFs. construction gifts, or uh, and the marquee. As soon as someone worked out the marquee tag in HTML with the scrolling text, oh, it was all over. Oh, uh, having said that, I think one of my biggest achievements was um, there was a bit of JavaScript you could actually get. So back back in the early days of say Netscape and Internet Explorer, you'd have the status bar across the bottom, which would tell you how fast your your connection was going and how much it downloaded. Yes. And I found a piece of JavaScript that actually allowed you to put scrolling text in there. Yes. I was so happy when I got that working. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Well, on the subject of uh, internet, question 22, there was a number of uh, internet search engines which predated Yahoo and Google in the early 90s. Name one other popular search engine at the time. So there's one one point here. There's a number of different areas. Um, Quirties. Ask Yves. No. I was going Ask Jeeves came later. I was going to Jim? come in with AltaVista. No, AltaVista came later as well. So uh, Yahoo was released in March 1995. AltaVista came later that year. Uh, Quirties, did you want to have another stab? Mm. In the back of my, my head, uh, darn it. I know I heard about another one that Google competed with. This was Which way I can't before remember. Google. This was way before Google, yeah, way before oh, Yahoo. Boy. So there were two big ones, maybe three big ones that you guys would have heard of. Lycos? Bam. Tim, yes, you're correct. So Lycos was one. Uh, there was also InfoSeek. Uh, there was Go.com, Webcrawler, uh, JumpStation. Uh, those were all uh, pre-Yahoo, yeah. pre-Google. I, I kind of liked what Yahoo was actually doing in the early days. So that the Yahoo search engine, quote-unquote, was half search engine and half directory service. That's right, exactly. Uh, yeah. the, the problem is, and I think this is why they abandoned it, was the internet just got too big for a directory yes. service to really be able to function properly. That's right, yeah. And which they then started resorting to crawling web pages and, and that sort of thing. So, But I did uh, like the concept of the uh, of the directory. You get the uh, um, curated links to uh, different topics, Yeah, more or less. Well, all right. So prior to exa- uh, and we're moving on to question twenty-three. Sorry, prior to we- prior to its acquisition by Adobe in two thousand and five, what was the name of the company that developed multimedia and rich web applications such as Flash and Macromedia? Absolutely, Quirty's Macromedia is correct. <laughs> Yay! So, points. Yeah. Yay. So you seem to be doing uh, well at the early internet stuff. Yeah, I got. Uh, um, I was thinking Aldous, and then I realised that was PageMaker. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so, Quirties, hopefully you can get this one. What was the name of the product released in April 1995 that allowed users to stream audio over the internet? 
Qu- uh, <laughs> real, uh, real player. Real net. Uh, I'll give you half a point for real player. So the 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 network for full full points. I was looking for real audio player, and then video uh, came afterwards. But I'll give you half a point for real player, and it was uh, of, um, on that yeah. same because yeah, I was going to give the same answer, and it's um, the person who created the real audio company is Philip Rosendale who went on later to create Second Life, which is where I know QWERTY from. Ah, there you go. There's a little connection there. All right, so I'm going to be really disappointed if neither of you get this, and it's an easy answer, so get your buzzers ready. Question 25, to round out our early internet uh, questions, is the computer lab in the University of Cambridge in London is credited as having the world's first webcam. What did this webcam broadcast? Tim. Quirky fish tank. Coffee pot. Tim is correct. It was the coffee uh, machine located hooked, within the ramp. Hooked up to an Acorn Archimedes. Yeah. Do, <laughs> do you remember when they retired it? But Acorn Archimedes, which had the RISC chip in it, that is the basis of the chip that's in most of our phones now. There you go. Yeah. yeah you're absolutely correct. So they used it as a mechanism uh, initially internally to see if the coffee pot was empty or full. Uh, and they later uh, connected that to the internet so anyone could look at the coffee pot. And uh, it was retired in 2001, believe it or not. Yeah, it I think a, it was well, sort of like one frame a second or something stupid like that. Oh, it was terrible. It was, And the resolution was awful. But, yeah, uh, and well, black and white too. Yeah, well, back in those days, um, like this, this was sort of early internet with no, 28.8 modems if you're lucky. So no half of the half of the point here was not how well it worked; it's that it worked at all. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, so that's the end of that round, and we got Tim at seventeen and a half points. Quirties, you're at seven, which is quite respectable. Uh, you're doing quite well. Well, um, well. <laughs> <laughs> well look, there, there are. There's an opportunity <laughs> to pick up points in this next round. So there are some questions here that are worth uh, multiple answers. Uh, sorry, multiple points. Uh, starting with the first one is one point for each of the correct answers. And uh, if you guys get stuck, feel free to jump in. So question 26. In the 1999, uh, sorry, 1995 film, say that uh, three times quickly, 1995 film Hackers starring Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie, which four passwords were quoted as being the most commonly used? It's been years since I've watched this. So I great, great movie. So I'm looking for, for four points in total, the four passwords which were quoted in that movie as being commonly used. Oh. I'm going to confess, I never liked that movie. Yeah, I, I, but do you I, remember I, that? It doesn't matter if you liked it, no. movies, but you need to know, know yeah, the answer. I, I, <laughs> I remember the movie. I watched it again two or three years ago, but... But that you get God is um, hacking the <laughs> or Gibson, something. And this was in a time when everybody in movies still smoked. Yeah. yeah. Look, there's four points here. Like, does anyone want to guess? <laughs> Password one. No. Quirties, anything? Um. One, two, three. Oh, you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I here? 
I'm losing nerd. The answer yeah. I was looking for were love, sex, secret, and God. Darn it. Because everyone uses those passwords, apparently. Everybody thinks with their dick or thinks they're God. <laughs> Basically. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I hope you guys yeah, do I, I always liked... Um, I think it was the same... Around the same time. Sneakers. Sneakers uh, is a I, great movie. Uh, in fact, yeah. I have a question coming up uh, about sneakers. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the next question uh, is not sneakers, but... PC load letter is an error message on HP printers that was mocked in the movie Office Space. What does this error mean? And if you can tell me what PC means, you get a bonus point. Tim, I can't remember what uh, PC means, but um, it's basically the printer is loaded with A4 and has received a document that's in the US letter size. So it's telling you to insert the correct paper size. No, I'm not going to give that one to you. Querties, do you want to uh, have a guess? No, no idea. None at all. Uh, yep, uh, not even seeing Office Space. So. <laughs> oh, you're missing out. So basically, oh, look, Tim, you were sort of on the right track, but I, I can't give you half a point for this one. So basically what it meant was that the, the paper cassette, which is what PC stood for, was out of paper or out of letter-sized paper to be specific. And letter, uh, as you guys know, was a pop it well, is a popular paper size in the US, whereas you know most of the normal countries in the world use the ISO A4 uh, paper. So if it was in this country, you would see PC load A4 instead of PC load letter. But, uh, <laughs> of course, Americans love to be different. Absolutely. They yeah. love their premium <sighs> units. They do. <laughs> They do. So I'm not going to award any points to anyone there because uh, you guys suck. Uh, now, Quirties, on the movie Sneakers. Oh, boy. Yes. Think hard. So there was a large computer featured in the room within Cosmo's office. What was this computer? And I will give you a point each if you can give me the make and the model. I'll give this one to Quirties because this is not a movie I've watched. Oh, uh, wasn't up. it a supercomputer? Yeah, what was the name and the model of that Craig, computer? If it's a supercomputer. Well, Tim, yes, it was a Cray. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyone guess uh, guesses at the model of Cray there? Cray 2? No. No idea. <laughs> so it was the Cray YMP, um, and it was actually yeah. one of the most expensive supercomputer, supercomputers at the time uh, the movie was filmed. So, Tim, I'll give you one point for that one. So we're at the last two questions now, and question 29. In season four, episode five of the IT crowd, hopefully you guys have watched that. I have watched it, but not for years, so... Whoa. Oh, this might be a bit hard then. Oh. So... In this particular episode of the IT crowd, Ross and Moy, uh, Ross, <sighs> I can't, I can't speak. Moss and Roy blow off work only to find themselves wandering into an area cornered off by police after a suspect package was found. The police deployed a bomb disposal robot, which was said to be running which operating system? Tim, Windows Vista. It was Windows Vista, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh... Such a great scene. <laughs> 
And uh, final question of the night, question 30. So in season four of The Office, and we're talking about the US version of The Office, not the UK version, an unprepared Michael Scott is about to uh, give a presentation to the rest of the staff about which popular Office application. I've not watched the US version of The Office, but is it Word or PowerPoint? Oh, you're close. Oh, yes, PowerPoint. It is correct. Death by PowerPoint. It, it is death be, by yeah, That was pretty much it. <laughs> oh, it was either going to be Word, Excel, or PowerPoint. <laughs> well, look, uh, that rounds out our questions. So, Tim, you're at uh, 20 and a half points. Quirties, you're still at seven. It, uh, uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, and off. Or I think that no, was it. Don't make a half point. I, 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 did, uh, I probably made the questions a little harder than uh, <laughs> I meant to. Yeah. Nah. I think that was a fairly respectable, uh, fairly respectable yeah. round. Yeah. Yeah, and Tim, you defended your retro credits. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, look, thanks for yeah, playing, but guys. Were good and, questions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to Qwerty's, the stuff you come up with, and make me look like an absolute fool. Ooh. <laughs> yes, we'll have. To, well, yeah, we'll have to hand over the reins over to you sometime, Qwerty. That was actually quite a lot of fun. I was not expecting yeah. to do that well. No, you've done really well. Um, uh, uh, I wasn't expecting to do that well either. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, it sounds like there's um, a movie I'll have to watch and a movie I'll have to rewatch. Absolutely. You should watch uh, Sneakers. Yeah, it's a uh, great movie. Highly recommend. Yeah. Because um, yeah. Hacker, Hackers, I think I've seen it twice now. Um, yeah. But it's been that long. I don't actually remember quite a lot about the movie. Hackers was a yeah. bit cheesy. Like, it was very sort of dramatised. Well, like, so was Sneakers, but I think to a lesser yeah. degree. Yeah. That's At probably why Sneakers, I didn't Sneakers, yeah. Sneakers was more realistic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was a comedy, but it's still realistic hacker comedy. Well, <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what's a, what's Hackers was... Me, uh, what surprised me about... Um, about... Um, what is it? Hackers was, and I noticed this the second time I watched it. It was still, it was obviously done at a time when smoking was still very heavily pushed <laughs> in movies. So they, I, I, I can't, even, I don't even remember who smoked in that. I think all the kids were seen lighting up at one point. I know the young character, I forget his name. Um, the one, yeah. Uh, the one with the braces, what was his name? <laughs> I want to say Jesse, but that's not fucking right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kind of allergic to uh, fake C CGI hacking, <laughs> writing your password <laughs> and... Uh, ugh. <laughs> What do you mean you don't, like, swipe your hands around the screen and move windows around, yeah. like, willy-nilly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Oh dear. Oh, sort of, oh, yeah. yeah. This is like. Or the password in big, uh, big, um, a big window. Yeah. Well, there, write your password down. Sli slightly, um, well, slightly off topic, but slightly related. Uh, what seems to have been coming up on my YouTube feed of late is a guy who actually looks at piano scenes in Disney movies. And he actually plays the song as it was animated. 
And sometimes they animate it correctly and sometimes they don't. And it's just a really weird thing to watch. Like, this is what's being played, this is what they animated. I'm just afraid to uh, look at uh, Mr. Dollinger or Tim's uh, YouTube feed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got some weird shit that comes up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, shall we wrap this up? Yeah, I think we shall wrap this up. So, <laughs> yep. for anyone listening, of which there probably aren't that many, thank you for listening. The song will the uh, podcast will be uploaded to the site later for people to listen to at their leisure. Maybe three people might download this. We'll see. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, for and you can subscribe on Spotify and uh, what's the other place? Yeah. Is this on Spotify, is it? Yeah, this is on Spotify. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if Crody's the only person subscribed. <laughs> well, look, it gives you something to listen to on the way to work, at least. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you very much for the uh, good questions, Nick. No, yeah, a pleasure. they were great, actually. Yep. Yeah. And 